Heavenly Father, specifically anoint my lips and may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be fully acceptable and endowed with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, this subject on prophecy and the rise of the Advent movement have been very close to our heart and I have been teaching that over 30 years. And yet if I hear the rumbling sometimes from the students, then the things that I presented seem to be so foreign or so new and that they are not familiar in other classes. I have no idea what the seminary teaches because I only knew from my class what I teach. And I haven't gotten any professor sitting in and finding out what I teach. And so I had a tremendous freedom to teach whatever I wanted to teach. (laughs) Praise the Lord. And so here now, in regard to the specific preparation for the second advent, there is a message in the Old Testament in the prophecy Malachi about a special cleansing of the church or God's people before he returns. Malachi 3, verse 1 through 3. Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you shall seek shall suddenly come to his temple. And prophetically, people have associated that very end of time. Some interpreters have associated that with Jesus and coming into the temple, uh, you know, during his ministry. But uh, we, and specifically those who are involved in apocalyptic prophecy, have associated this with special events. And they have it also associated with Revelation 10 and 11, where the temple of God is also involved. But who may abide? in the day of his coming, and who shall stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire, like a fuller's soap. So yes, Lord comes suddenly to his temple, but who can stand? And there is then a purification process coming. And he shall sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver, and he shall purify the sons of Levi, in the context of last event, God's people, and urge them as gold, or purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. And so those people are being prepared, purified, that they will demonstrate in some way the offering of righteousness. Here are God's people, If you want to know righteousness, righteousness by faith, no matter what you look at those people, and they will demonstrate this. And so here is a special cleansing, and this is what William Miller taught, and the early Adventist, but not only him, but other Christians also. The first angel's message of Revelation 14, verse 6 and 7, announces the hour of his judgment in the 1840s. The hour of his judgment is... There. Now, remember, this angel's message started with a study of the book of Daniel, 
and specifically Daniel chapter 8. What is this cleansing of the sanctuary there? And this was seen by William Miller and his followers in regard to the judgment, Christ's coming. Now, it's interesting if you go to the uh, interpretations at that time. Every Christian church, every theologian had some kind of thing to say about Daniel 8.14. But what was going to happen? Some felt that uh, the church will be purified from all kind of bad influences or all kind of Roman Catholic influences. Ah, the Jews go back to Palestine. Uh, others thought, hey, uh, the Islam is being eliminated from Judah and the Jews go back and you get God's kingdom being established. There are many, many different interpretations. I think I collected about 10 different interpretations what people had. Now, we had the most radical one. It was Christ's coming. Because another number of others had ah, the millennium. In 1844 or 1840s, the millennium will be established. and whatever. But we came to the radical conclusion that the earth is... What is it? The sanctuary. And that's going to be cleansed. And of course, obviously, the cleansing of the earth is the final judgment. And, uh, but many people didn't make that radical decision. And so we stayed by ourselves there. And uh, then Christ returned. The first angel's message says, the hour, not the day, but the hour of his judgment will come. It's a very important difference. And that will then be proclaimed throughout the world by the Adventists. And not only the Adventists, but people in Europe, uh, you know, had this message. We sent our publications worldwide, and people studied this. And of course, what happened in 1844, everyone was disappointed. Because none of the explanations hold water. They all didn't work out. Of course, we had the most serious, you know, disappointment. People had put their finances into it, have given up the farm, sold everything, and nothing happened. And so, what was then the solution to the great disappointment? The study of the Word. Bible study... And they discovered a complete system of truth for God's people since 1844. Now, if you don't believe this, <laughs> whatever I say now will not make any sense. But this was it. It was the study of the sanctuary. Not only the sanctuary, but the whole Bible, you know, what does the bird sanctuary mean? It could be this, that, or the other thing. And so, the subject of the sanctuary, you find in great controversy, was the key which unlocked the mystery of the disappointment of 1844. It opened to view a complete system of truth, connected and harmonious 
Wat dan? Wat is het doen? Showing that God's hand had directed the Great Advent Movement, revealing present duty, as it brought to light the position and work of his people. And that is specifically the light in the context of self-sanctification uh, uh, by righteousness in Jesus Christ. See what it says here? We discovered now that what took place was in the providence of God. It was ordained there, and we experienced this. And it reveals what we should do now, the position and work that was assigned to us by the Lord. Now, when October 22 comes along, what do we see in our churches? Very little. Sometimes like a whisper. You know, we don't want to talk about the disappointment. I wrote an article that many have appreciated. It says, the blessing of the disappointment. Because what happens there was one of the greatest blessings and only the remnant, a handful of people discovered this. You know, about 50 to 100,000 people were there in 1844. When 1849 came along, about 100 people were left of this great movement. 100 people. And at that time, Ellen Wright wrote, Praise the Lord, in those five years, we now discover the truth, and the truth is in Jesus. And then a new evangelistic thrust developed. This was in Great Controversy, page 423. And new light on Christ's final cleansing work in the time of the end. And so if you don't study the sanctuary, both in the Old and the New Testament, this is, as evangelicals have called it, the Adventist faith saving device. They had to find out with some kind of rationale, and here was the face-saving result. Nonsense. And that was what Barnhouse and, you know, in, in the 1850s and Martyr, you know, when they studied Adventism, they said, yeah, we agree with many of you, but this is an absolute uh, joke. And of course, unfortunately, our people didn't have the opportunity to study the prophecies with Barnhouse and Martin. That may have come to some result, but maybe not, because at that conference, it was at stake, are we going to be accepted as a church, or are we continue to be qualified as a cult? You know, I mean, the, the, you know, you have to pity Prum and Cottrell and, you know, who were re working on, on, on those things. How we can rescue us and get us as a Christian church presented. But the new light that we got did not help. In fact, the new light, when it was studied, brought even a greater separation between Adventism and the rest of the Christianity. And all it has to do is with prophecy.
Here is Brother Crozier. And he wrote a pamphlet. It was published in the Daystar Extra. And when Ellen Weiss in 1846 read it, she was excited. She says, Brethren, this is the light that we need. This is the solution to the great disappointment. Of course, she had already received some visions that showed some things that took place, but there was no... I mean, the Lord could have given her a Bible study. A whole series of texts. But he did not. He waited until Edson, Crozier, and Dr. Ha came together and studied it month after month. And finally, in 1846, it was published. Now, how many have read that article? Can I see some hands? The Crozier, the law of Moses. Now, if you haven't, this is your assignment. And it's a very good assignment. You know, I had to read it when I was trying to develop, to, to understand how Adventism, you know, actually that was my topic of my dissertation. And why it is, I went to the seminary at the time, I think as things have changed, I spent two years there, wrestling with this, what is the Adventist message? How did it come about? What kind of speculation took place? And I spent the years of it finding out of this. And that dissertation provided me lectures until the Lord comes. But here it is. Crozier. And he wrote this article, The Law of Moses. Now, interesting thing. You know, what a title. The Law of Moses. And what about the sanctuary? Here it comes. He showed from the book of Malachi that in the last days, Elijah will come up and the law of Moses. It was the law of Moses that gave us the insight in what Christ is doing in heaven. And so that is what he called the law of Moses. And so he wrote there his nice study. But very few today understand this. The cleansing of the sanctuary is in two phases since 1844. There is a literal and a spiritual temple. The little being the sanctuary in New Jerusalem, a literal city, and the spiritual, the church. The little occupied by Jesus Christ, our King and Priest, John 14, 2, Hebrews 8, verse 2, 9 and 11, you know, the type and antitype, you're all familiar with this, but we are not too familiar with, with, with the spiritual temple. The spiritual temple is occupied by the Holy Ghost. And if you read carefully 1 Corinthians 3, verse 17, and sometimes we use it for healthy form, but basically, for healthy form, chapter 6, verse 19 is the key. In chapter 3 of Corinthians, verse 17, it deals with the church itself as the foundation. 
of the Christian faith. And we should not destroy the church. So there are heresies and all kinds of things. Because those who destroy God's church with false teachings, God will destroy. Very interesting. Then if you go to Ephesians 2, verse 20 and 21, you know, and 22, Paul again brings out, we are building a temple. Christ is the foundation. The apostles will build upon it. And we continue to build upon it. And so he says that as Christ now begins the cleansing of the heavenly sanctuary, the heavenly temple, so the Holy Spirit, with the new light to his people, starts to purify his church. Now this is an extremely important understanding, and if you don't get it, call upon the Lord to show you this. I've done my best, but I know I'm I'm mortal and be a failing. And so here, between these two, heaven and earth, there is a perfect concert of action. As Christ prepares the place, the Spirit does the people. When he, Jesus, came to his temple, the sanctuary, to cleanse it, the Spirit commands the special cleansing of the people. And he refers again to Malachi chapter 3. The Lord comes suddenly to his temple. And suddenly among the Adventists, this whole prophecy in Malachi made sense. And it was the law of Moses in the last days, then the Elijah message, that gave light. I read this article about 40 times before it really sank in. And I could write it as a part of my dissertation. Of course, my professors didn't see much light into it. And one of the professors said, you know, does Domsky's dissertation is very interesting. This is a beautiful picture of Adventist speculation. Uh, marvelous compliment, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I mean, I had the privilege to write a dissertation about us. In fact, when I came to the subsequent day of my dissertation, the professor agreed and he said, you know, Darmstadt, I want you to give the best critical analysis of Adventism. There was my dream gone. What is a critical analysis? A higher critical study of what Adventism has produced. And James White, Ellen White, Bates, Edson, I mean, they would fall by the wayside. I prayed to the Lord. And I said, Professor, it's a marvelous idea. Marvelous idea. But how can you have a critical evaluation of Adventism if you don't have there the basic foundation, how it came all about? And if you have that picture, how they put the puzzle together in apocalyptic prophecy, then the next one after me can... Do whatever they want. And he looked at me. He said, yeah. He said, is there nobody that has ever written dissertation? No, no. Okay, you, you go ahead. And had the total freedom to use the primary source of all the pioneers, how Adventism developed. 
And so this was years of study with a purpose. Because I, I believed innocently that when I came with my dissertation, that the scholars in the world would see, great, this is what we have missed. But that was not true. So afterwards, I said, I better go into the pastorate and evangelism and get the good stuff out there. What can I do with the scholars? Pray. Pray. I still have good relationship, but I have to pray for them. And who knows what happened in the future. This was Crozier's Law of Moses in the Daystar Extra, February 7, 1846. Now, if you read his article, there are things that he have never accepted. And uh, you see then in some of the primary sources, he says sections of the article crossed out because we don't believe it. There was the age to come theory, something different. But basically, this was not crossed out, and it is an excellent insight. So, in regard to the preparation, why do God's people need cleansing? This happens four years later. They must prepare to receive the seal of the living God. And here the spirit of prophecy now comments on this article and whatever. I saw that many do not realize what they must be in order to live in the sight of the Lord without a high priest in the sanctuary through the time of trouble. You see, this is the day of atonement language. In the antitypical day of atonement, what does Jesus do? He is going to a cleansing ceremony. And what happened if he is finished with the cleansing? In the Old Testament, the high priest come out and give the responsibility to the scapegoat and he's led into the unknown distance. So how does that work with Jesus? And so what I'm now presenting depends on your understanding of the Day of Atonement and the sanctuary. If that doesn't work out, and a number of scholars don't see any light in it, then you can see that this is an absolute heretical teaching. And that is what other scholars outside of us have also said. Those who receive the seal of the living God are protected in a time of trouble and they must reflect the image of Jesus fully. Remember Revelation 6, the sixth seal. And what happened then? The sky parts, Jesus comes. And only that, but what do the presidents, kings and queens of this world do? They forgot to pray to Jesus and now they pray to the mountains and to the rocks. See? And they say, fall upon us. For who can stand? You see the same echo. The same echo what you find in, 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 in uh, Malachi. Who will be able to stand? And the next chapter shows you beautifully what happened. The sealing angel goes and God's people are being sealed with the seal of the living God and they will stand. See? So that is our future. 
And the Adventist church has been called into being to prepare the world for this event. And the Sabbath is a critical thing in this whole plan. But now, how to reflect the image of Jesus fully? And here again, sanctification by faith in Christ. Because he is the only one that can do that. Why do God's people need cleansing? They must prepare to receive the latter rain. I saw that none could share the refreshing, the latter rain, unless you obtain the victory over every besetment, pride, selfishness, love of the world, and over every wrong word and action. And I said, you know, this is really, you know, if you look at it and you look at your own life, I said, how is this possible? But do you think, if you look at this, that uh, heaven will be opened for people who are proud, who are selfish, who love the world, who use wrong words and actions? No, the world will be... So, realistically, this is a very high standard. Again, it is a standard by sanctification, by faith in Christ. See, unless you take Christ out of the picture, it, it, we have to give up. And so here then, we should therefore be drawing nearer and nearer to the Lord and be earnestly seeking the preparation necessary to enable us to stand in the battle of the day of the Lord. Early writing 71. And so instead of Christ closing the books and closing the spirit of prophecy and selling them, no. We should open it and find out how we can come closer to Jesus. That's the, that, that is the answer. You see? And he stands there with his arms wide open. He says, come unto me, all ye that labor and heavy laden, and I will give you peace and rest. So if you look from that perspective, it is a fantastic message. So the conclusion is, the need of believers, victory, not defeat. Victory. Here, how to accomplish this? By drawing near and near to Jesus so that they can be cleansed by the Holy Spirit and stand in the day of the Lord. Beautiful. So if you keep that in the future, we are now here. How in your Bible studies, in your churches, how do you prepare people for this event? Now, the question is, were Adventists ready in 1844 for Christ's return? Now, you know, I mean, remember, I mean, what was their condition? Many loved the Lord. They had put every penny into it, sold property and everything. So they must be ready. But they were not ready. Of course, you know, if you died just before 1844, still things were okay. Remember Ellen Knight's vision? Over the Stockman and Charles Fitch, the greatest evangelist that we had at the time, she saw them in heaven. There was a conversation, you know, and they asked him, How was it on earth? And she says, I don't know anymore because the glories in heaven surpasses everything. I can't even talk about us. So they had 
sacrificed everything. But not everything was correct. Great Controversy, page 424. Uh, 34 says, no, 24. They were not ready to meet the Lord. And why? What were their errors in 1844? They had many unbiblical practices, like keeping Sunday, a pagan Sabbath, infant baptism, except William Miller and the Baptist. Many were practicing, not practicing temperance of healthful living, defiling their bodies through the use of tobacco, alcohol, tea, coffee, unclean food, wearing jewelry or adornment. Many had erroneous ideas about the Godhead, and we still are fighting that battle. Tithing, food washing, immortality of the soul, everlasting hellfire, those are all heathen concepts. And then the high priestly ministry, atonement, the cross, righteousness by faith, justification, sanctification by faith, the faith of Jesus and victory over sin, etc. So you see, there was a mixture here. They were not ready. And the Lord wanted to eradicate this. And so here, why were they not ready in 1844? Early writings beautifully explains that they were not free from errors. I saw that the mercy, the, I saw the mercy and goodness of God in sending a warning to the people of the earth and repeated messages to lead them to diligent searching of heart and study of the scriptures, that they might divest themselves of the error which have been handed down from the heathen and the papist. As he calls this, this is a sign of God's mercy and goodness. Because sinful human beings who practice these sinful things cannot exist when he appears. That seems to be the whole point. And if you don't understand this, or if you said, okay, yes, we continue to sin until the very, very end, whatever I say doesn't make sense. But what is the teaching of the sanctuary show us this? Sanctification by faith in Christ. He is cleansing us through, through what? The Holy Spirit. So this process started in 1844 and continues. Do you think that now the condition of the church is more holy than in pioneer's time? Are we more godly? Are we more talking about Jesus? You see? Through these messages, God has been bringing out his people where he can work for them in greater power and where they can keep all his commandments. See? So God is preparing our people who, without any difficulty, are willing to keep everything what the Lord wants and divest ourselves from paganism and papacy. So we are basically, and that is in early writings, page 250. That is from the great controversy vision that you find there in the second part of early writings. Fascinating, fascinating. In my class, I took my students' jellies through this whole section. 
when does Christ return? Well, we are told not to set any dates and whatever. But the pioneers discovered something very interesting in the message of Peter. Acts 3, 19 to 21. Repent therefore and be converted, that he, God, may send Jesus Christ, whom heaven must receive, until the times of the restoration of all things. So here is a time given that when everything is restored on planet earth, Jesus will come. Of course, this is not with prophetic reckoning and whatever, but there is something taking place in, on earth that will be restored, and then he will come. And here you find an interesting statement. When the character of Christ shall be perfectly reproduced in his people, then he will come to claim them as his own. Christ Object Lessons, page 69. Observation. The second advent takes place when all truth is restored and practiced among God's remnant people. And then they can reflect Christ's character. And Christ's character is specifically, as you will see, crystallized in the mind of Christ. That's a very, very powerful message. And so all the truth that will be restored, and we have the we are the recipient of that truth. Why is it so important? It will affect our life. It will affect our daily behavior. And I wrote a number of years an article in regard to an evaluation of each one of our teachings. And if that we had not that teaching, what would be the detrimental effect? So in other words, every one of our 28 fundamental beliefs has a function to make us more like Jesus. Because if you have not that picture, it's unfortunate, but then you don't live the life of Jesus. And so those are very, very serious things. And so you can see here, if you are not an Adventist and don't understand prophecy, that this is pure speculation. Pure speculation. But if you give it a chance, give it a chance to study this, the whole sanctuary teaching and what the practical effect is. It's not just Jesus there in the books of records, you know, going over those things. It has a very practical component. In Glacier View and afterwards the ministry magazine that was produced at the back page. There's a whole section there. So what difference does it make? If we know the celestial geography, in the sanctuary, if you believe it in a little sanctuary. So, what is it? What does Jesus do? It has no relevance, at least a number of our own scholars didn't see any relevance for planet Earth. But this, what I present, is when Christ cleanses the heavenly sanctuary, he prepares a place. He prepares a place, according to John 14, for what? For us. 
So what is this presentation? What, what is this preparation? Is it simply a record there in heaven? While here are his people with all kind of pagan and papal heresies? No. There is a counterpart. And this is the light that the Lord wants us to have. But how many, how many sermons do you hear on those things? Yeah. One of the uh, one of the people of It Is Written is a member of my church. And there was a discussion in It Is Written. There's, you know, there are some things that 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 Adventism doesn't anymore teach. And that one of the things is, you know, when Christ leaves the heavenly sanctuary, well then, how shall we then live? How we shall live? And the remark was then, nobody ever teaches it anymore. The week before, I had a sermon on that. And that associate of it is written, shared in this committee, says, yes, but in our church, we still preach it. He says, who preached it? Oh, yeah, yeah. He will do it. You know, I mean, this is such a beautiful message, friends. Because it gives you assurance in salvation through sanctification Jesus Christ. He is the high priest. He does it. So now the Holy Spirit restores all truth to purify God's remnant people. And in Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 21 and 22, it says that through obeying the truth, we will be purified. And who is the instrument? Through the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit impresses us to be faithful in everything, and this faithfulness of everything purifies us all our life. What is the mind of Christ? Look at Christ to discover the mind of Christ. And this is vital. And tomorrow we will spend also more time on that. Philippians 2, verse 5 to 8. Let his mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God but made himself of no reputation. Taking the form of a bond servant. The Greek says doulos is simply a slave. Forming, coming in the likeness of man. And being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself. And how far is his humility going? He became obedient to the point of death even the death of the cross. Friends, look at those things here. Here is an example, and Paul says, this is the mind that you have to have. Faithful in the little things, faithful unto death, even the most cruel persecution, and visiting the Valdensian valleys, and hearing the stories recited. How they were thrown off Mount Cataluzzo there. Thousands of feet high. Mother, children, pastors. They perished. 
For what? Because of the truth of the scriptures. They fought and they left everything. And what do we do, friends? What are these qualities of the mind of Christ? Having the mind of Christ, his followers reveal the, 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 the graces of his character. It has to do with character. Nothing short of this, Spirit of Prophecy says, will make men acceptable to God. Nothing short of this will give them the pure, holy character that they must have who are admitted to heaven. Lift him up. 301. Now the question is here, is it optional or necessary to have the mind of Christ? This is a very serious thing that each one of us has to be confronted. Because you are spiritual leaders, if this is optional, don't bother your church members with it. To have the mind of Christ is to have the character of Christ. What determines your character? If thoughts are wrong, the feelings will be wrong. And the thoughts and feelings combined make up the moral character. In Heavenly Places 164. This is, this is a crucial concept that, that shows us how careful we are to guard the senses. Seeing, hearing, speaking, eating, drinking. All of those things affect our thoughts and feelings. And that is the moral character. And so, unless you guard those avenues, you will fail in getting ever the mind of Christ. And so, if the thoughts are not good, and the feelings are not good, there it is. How do we obtain the mind of Christ? And tomorrow morning we will specifically focus on this one. But it is simple there. Paul, let, let us not hang there, but give us in Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, if you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And then we tremble and said, how can we ever do this? You know, we never can do this. But the next verse says, what is your involvement? How can you do this? How is this possible, humanly speaking? Paul continues, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So it is here, it is the surrender of our will to Jesus. He is taking possession and let him work and give him the opportunity even if it's at time fear and trembling the obstacles the difficulties friends this is the prescription 
that the Apostle Paul gives. How do we need to be involved in character perfection? It's not the absolute perfection. The absolute perfection belongs to the Lord. But character perfection is the section that is assigned to us. Why? The honor of God, the honor of Christ is involved in the perfection of the character of his people. Isaiah pages 671. Now, look at this quotation. What does it mean? The honor of God and the honor of Christ is involved. Character affects the honor of God and Christ. Having the mind of Christ is crucial in leading persons to Jesus Christ and salvation. Failure means the loss of salvation. So in other words, we are a light unto salvation or destruction. Our influence. And so people get sick and tired of hearing about character and whatever. No, this is the vehicle. And the more we shine and reveal Jesus Christ, the more successful we will be. How to attain the mind of Christ. Obey the truth. Not until the heart is cleansed and purified through obedience to the truth. 1 Peter 1.22 Can we be laborers together with God and work with the mind of Christ? Letter 186-1896 Friends, this is the prescription of the success of your church. Success of your ministry and friends, it will be the success of all your Bible studies, your evangelism, whatever, because you represent the remnant, Christ's last group, and only that, but you will reveal Jesus Christ. People will get no better picture of Jesus Christ. Until you have pictured it. What is the result of having the mind of Christ? Those who have the mind of Christ. Will walk even as he walked. 1 John 2, 6. They will live out the law of God. Will feed upon Christ. Be particles of the divine nature. And to stand as living sentinels for truth. Letter 184, 1895. Isn't it attractive, friends? And this is possible through the power and might of Christ, as we have seen this morning. Believe what the scripture says. There is power in the word that nobody can can do anything about. But you, open yourself. Pray, pray, if you don't see this message clearly. Pray, Lord, open my mind. Open my eyes that I may see the wondrous plan that you have for me and my church, my family, my conference. We need the deep movings of the Holy Spirit. Jesus spoke more on the Holy Spirit than any other subject. 
May the Lord of heaven open our understanding, open our eyes, that we shall know what it means to be a practical Christian. Not a theoretical, very practical. Break down the, and I have tried to do this, to break down the fantastic concepts so that everybody can understand this. We all need the deep movings of the Spirit of God upon our heart. That we may possess the mind of Christ. That we may reveal his sweetness. His overcoming grace. Then we shall not grieve the one who has borne our griefs. And carried our sorrows. Manuscript 158, 1904. Friends, this is a situation. It's a challenging message. It's one of the most challenging understanding. But if you grasp this, and you open your mind and your eyes to this and give yourself completely to the Lord, you can taste the power and might of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, His work, what His angels can do. All of those avenues are for you. But do our church members Understand this. Many will not. And for you as a spiritual leader, here is your assignment. And friends, the Lord is waiting. Waiting for the great revival of the Adventist Church. Because unless we let the Holy Spirit cleanse us, we will never be partakers of the latter rain. And this latter rain will be seen by many as a fanatical movement. Where will you stand? When is the time of preparation? Right now. Today. Friends, are you willing to give it a try? Are you willing to open your eye and say, Lord, make me the instrument in your hand. Can I see the hands? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And you know, this is one that I at times felt it's sometimes too much because of the reluctance that other people have, even in our church, of accepting this. But I think purely, I said, they don't understand. You know, that's how I contribute. You know, Lord, take care of them because they don't understand all the oppositions. And you will have oppositions. And books have lately produced against some of those things. So what? You don't want to be popular by your peers. Popular by Jesus. The Holy Spirit. And remember they are in the majority. Even if it sometimes looks as the remnant of the remnant. Don't worry about it. Don't be concerned. Because it is still God's church. In Revelation 10, it shows the Advent movement worldwide. Worldwide. And then you see the result of the 144,000 on Mount Zion. And it's all the result of the three angels' messages. So you can see here what took place in 1844 was a split in Christianity. And as a result of the rejection of this way, of how we've seen prophecy, we see that Protestants are moving more and more closer to Rome and Rome to the Protestants. 
And Adventism becomes more and more isolated. But with the majority on our side, the victory is there. And so I'd like you to reflect now on discussion questions. The practical aspect of the doctrine of the cleansing of the sanctuary of Daniel 8.14 reveals that when Jesus began to cleanse the heavenly temple, Christ, through the Holy Spirit, began to cleanse the spiritual temple. The church from heathen and papal teachings. It is a restoration, friends, the restoration of truth, as it was in the early church. And so, what are the implications for my ministry and our church? May God bless you in the study of those things. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have seen the desire, the honest desire of our hearts that we would like to be uh, walking with you and having the mind of Christ. And Father, help us, send the Holy Spirit, especially today, when we will discuss those things. And may it overwhelm us when we also go to our rooms and we pray about it and we sleep about it. Oh, Father, may we not disappoint you. May the honor of God and of Jesus Christ be uplifted through your message of righteousness by faith. Thank you so much and bless each one of us here. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.